G'day and welcome to Talking Leadership. This is Eric Perez. Thank you for joining me again on the, on my ongoing series looking at this thing called leadership. I hope everyone is well. I know it's a, it's a COVID world at the moment, so I hope everyone who's listening wherever you're at at the moment are keeping safe. So by way of introduction, my guest today is someone I've, I've wanted to get on for a little while and, and thanks to a few hiccups of life, um, I couldn't get him on a couple of weeks back, but now I've, I've got him in the hot seat and I can't wait to have a conversation. Uh, my yeah, guest man. today is Daniel Hall and Daniel's story is one of going from struggling as a youth to being an inspiring, resilient dad, software engineer and mentor to foster parents. He grew up in foster care from the ages of two to five and was beaten, verbally abused and told he wouldn't amount to anything. Up until 15 years ago, he didn't give, I'll, I'll use the, the wording, he didn't give a shit about anyone or anything. He was eventually saved by the, by the Hall family and his wife, Tina. Daniel has had a long career as a top level software engineer and is, and is a passionate advocate for fostering and adoption. Together with Tina, he has, ado- he has six adopted special needs children and says they have been and continue to be his biggest teachers. So in this episode, of course, I'm going to be looking at leadership from multiple lenses. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Daniel Hall. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, that's a, that's a hell of a background. So I guess when, when people say life can can mold the person you are, obviously you've, you've had a few uh, lumps and bumps along the way and, and that's putting it mildly. What in your mind of, of all of the, the uh, elements that, that I discussed in your introduction here, what sort of got you on that pathway to thinking about leadership, mate? You know... The other day, it was just this past week, a friend of mine, Gabe Leal, had me on his show a while back. And one of the questions that he asked me, and this really made me think, he asked me, when the sun sets on your life, how do you want to be remembered? And I really put a lot of thought into that after the show. And I think my epitaph would read, a man who led with kindness through all of his failures. Because if you look at my entire life, I started out with being beaten and tied down and verbally abused, being called nothing but a piece of shit. So that, that kind of set me on my path for, for failure for most of my life. And what I learned, I learned through that experience. I learned about, you know, how to market myself by peeing on the wall. And, you know, I look back now and that, that actually became the catalyst for my life and you know, uh, like you said, up until about 15 years ago, it was through that trauma, it was really hard for me to have empathy and really care about people. Uh, if somebody died, you know, I, I would just be like, oh, okay, somebody, somebody died. And, you know, it would be hard for me to have those heartfelt feelings. And when I met my wife, Tina, it just, it changed, changed my life. I mean, she was, we, we got connected through eHarmony and they did a great job, a great job of matching us up because she just has this way of touching your soul. Daniel, you mentioned, I really like this word empathy, and I think it means different things to different people. I mean, it has a strict definition of what it is. You can look it up anywhere, grab Google and it'll give you what the definition of empathy is. But do you believe that empathy is a core component of good leadership? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The ability to be able to listen with more than just your ears is a powerful gift for people. And by doing that, listening, listening with your heart, listening by visually seeing something and being able to use your gut to, to figure out things in life. And when you can empathize and really feel what people are feeling, it helps you to understand, especially in a leadership role. If you have 
somebody that's having a really rough time at work, you know, there has to be a reason behind that. I know Stephen Covey says, you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And that's powerful, at least in our house. And that starts at home. That's not even at the workplace because we, my wife and I really try to understand each other and understand our conversations with each other. We help, we try to listen to our children or, you know, seeking first to understand, you know, from a parent leadership role, what our children are going through at a certain period of time. Like if they're, they're acting out, you know, are they hungry? Are they hangry? Uh, If it's late at night, they're usually tired. So their coping mechanisms are starting to really shut down. They have all this trauma that they've endured, you know, in utero, in the womb, and you're throwing everything else at them. So when you can try to gauge what's going on at home through through your children, and especially us with the trauma, it, you can bring that into the workplace. And you, if you run into somebody, you know, you can see, you can start to see the signs of alcoholism or drugs, and you can start to focus on that. You can if somebody opens up to you and said that they were, you know, they have fetal alcohol effects, you know, you know immediately that at least I would from a leadership standpoint, that that person is going to have a, uh, an issue with self-regulation, self-coping. And that would trigger me to, you know, just maybe try to reword the way that I'm trying to approach things with them in, in a different fashion. So, yeah, I mean, everything that we do at home, and dealing with the trauma, that translates into really, really powerful skills, uh, not only at the empathy level, but just overall being able to switch up how you lead with people. From a personal perspective, I could not agree more. I think there's a skill with leaders that over time you need to be able to spot some things in other people that aren't just about the work to try and um, meet them, meet them at their level particularly if people self-disclose that they've got certain things going on in their life. For those listening, Daniel is a software developer with Thera Manager, and he's also a founder and CTO of Impulse. And all of this is to do with data data and, and, and programming. In your travels, and this goes to this foundation of what good leadership could look like, do you find that you've had to deal with stereotypes and issues in the industry you've worked in, Daniel? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of egos. <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of people being very protective of what they're what they've created and and for me that hasn't been the case. It's more of my I absolutely love to write software. I've been doing it since I was eight years old, and so that's forty plus years for me. I always thought that was my purpose in life, but it's not. My purpose is to you know reciprocate kindness, and I've really honed into that by the the skills that I've learned growing up as a child, uh, having my experience of foster care, being adopted by the halls, and you know now with my my wife Tina and our children, I found that at least the balance for me is my software development. That helps me to self-regulate myself really because I go to work every day doing something that I absolutely love to do and when you when you're doing something that you absolutely love to do for work then you're having fun so I get a little mini vacation every day just don't tell my wife Tina I told you that (laughs) I might get in trouble (laughs) you're going on vacation well I only get one week of vacation no that's not the case but I do find in I I found in my career that there's a lot of a, a lot of uh stigmatism that I don't know if it's stigma is the right word, but you know, 
coders are generally just, you know, you stick them in a room and you let them do what they need to do and they're not going to come out of their shell. They're certainly not going to tell you and talk to you about their family. They want to say, if they're the only conversations they want to have with you is, okay, how can I hack Clubhouse? You know, you ever heard of that new app, Clubhouse? No, uh, no. Yeah, it's one of the, it's all the rage now. And I've done a lot of posts on LinkedIn about how there are so many holes in the security for Clubhouse. So that's kind of the geeky stuff that I'll get locked in a room and I'll I'll do. But then there's the other side of me that has just learned so much about being a human being. And before that, the only thing I could really talk about is geek-related stuff. So I couldn't have a normal conversation with people. And that really, that really was debilitating to my career because, you know, I could just talk to my boss. And my bosses weren't always, you know, at the geek. That at the same level I was, so it'd be just like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. And it does, it became very debilitating, especially when you're trying to move up the ladder and, and you're working with other people that think they know more than you and you don't know how to approach it. So typical story of working the, the politics of work. Now, I'd get that and I'm sure our listeners can relate to that. I guess one thing to note, and it, it's probably on not, not the top of your list of your achievements, because obviously it, it seems to, well, not obviously, it seems to me that family to you is, is front and center of everything that you do. And that that's that's a good way to keep yourself grounded. And, and maybe more people should look at that uh, as, a, as a recipe for a, a happy life. Only my perspective, of course, but uh, the fact that you got to the point where you could become a founder of a business speaks a lot as to how much you can grow from any kind of role. So whether it's in the high tech industry or um, any position that you have to have a roadmap for getting through that. And what I've seen with previous guests that I've spoken to, and I'd, I'd like to get your perspective if I can on this, Daniel, is that as you travel through your career, you have to sort of almost give yourself permission to take a risk and move up and do something different to break whatever the mold is that you've got. And I think a lot of people um, never feel success in a career to the degree that maybe they could because they've never allowed themselves to have a go and, and move up. Does that resonate with you, mate? Yeah, it sure does. I knew I got into the right field just because there was such a demand for developers in the world. And even at eight years old, I was doing things that people weren't even dreaming of doing. And by the time I was 13, I was teaching college kids how to do their code. So it was, and, and this was at a little community college in Castleton, Vermont, in the U.S. It was at that point that I realized, you know, I'm going to do something with my career. But when I got into my first couple of jobs, I felt like, you know, just kind of feeling a little unsure about my skills. You know, because you get, you're getting thrown into something new and, but then the, the ability to want to be a lifelong self-learner kicked in and you just started picking up those skills. So after the first couple of jobs, you know, I realized that if you stayed in those jobs for two or three years, then you weren't going to start making any much more money because you were, you started at a certain level and the, the, the progress was just, the progress was just starting to get slow. And I wanted to make more money. I wanted to, I wanted to start a family and, you know, keep moving up. So I found that through technology that I was always able to find something that was better and not only just better, but like, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 more than what I was making at my current job. So it's, I hope that answers somewhat of your question. No, no, very much so. It's kind of a good segue into the this next question I've got. And you said you've been through a couple of different roles. Did did you have you found in your travels, Daniel, that there is a difference, if any, between leaders and managers? 
uh, found many differences between the way people perceive that they could lead or be a manager. Um, I've had some managers that were very rigid. You know, I want it done this way, this way, and this way. And I've I've had, you know, I've met great people like uh, Randy Wilson, who was uh, became my boss at Nova Corporation back in 2012. And he would come and say, what damn, what do you think about this? What, what do you think that the approach should be here? He was the type of leader that would bring you up the ladder with him. And, you know, he would get up the ladder, kind of reach back and just pull you up with him. And that to me is a true sign of a great leader, not somebody that's taken all the credit for the things that you've done, but somebody that's just genuinely, yeah, I, I'm going to go back to saying this, but somebody that's really listening with more than just their ears and has those empathic skills to be able to know that by asking me that he makes me feel more important than, than him, because it makes me feel like he's relying on me and he's taking my word at face value. And that to me is a sign of a great leader. Cause that just, that really just pushes the envelope when it comes to not only somebody having that confidence in themselves, but having confidence in the person that's leading them. When I was first in more professional roles outside of university, when I started my work career, which was in the federal government here in Australia, which you know was a foundational thing for me. And I, I learned a lot from being in those roles that the better managers and the better leaders that I interacted with were the ones that gauged your opinion. It, it, they may not have acted on your views, but just the process of seeking a view is enough to get some people going, wow, this, this person actually, gives a flying you know what about my opinion um and it's not it's not always going to get acted on but i think good managers are always looking for have i missed an angle this person obviously thinks different to me i'm going to draw on their skills i think that that sends out a good vibe for for people working under you and it's um it's a clear demonstration that it's not about person who's leading and that that's not all leaders like this so i can i can understand that and and i guess the complete opposite of what you've been talking about and i hope to touch on this in future podcasts is this idea of the toxic leader the toxic manager in a workplace and what that does for your career as well because I've, I've spoken to plenty of people and we, we, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I'm sure we could have we could come up with our own war stories but that that opposite of the optimal leader manager exists and they can do certain things to your own level of confidence that is not good uh, longer term but I won't um, I won't go into that here but I will ask you this Daniel from and, and and if I can get you to maybe orient your mind a little bit to when you founded your business, sometimes you, you've sometimes you hear and I've read that leadership entrepreneur entrepreneurialism can be a lonely road. Is that the case, or is it as a lonely a process as you make it? I think for me, it's been a, a lonely road because I've I took a lot of positions that were looking at me being a one man show, and I didn't want to work on a team. So, it, it, you know, it, and it's taken me five years to get to where I'm at with my, my blockchain company, Impulse. And part of that was just being able to let go, you know, and trust, trust. You know, if you go back to my upbringing as a child, it's, it's being able to trust somebody else with your life and being responsible the way that your business is going to navigate you know just being able to find that right person to help you navigate that and i think that's probably one of the loneliest 
processes to go through is, you know, being able to find and get those right people on the bus, so to speak, out of the gate. Um, and once you do, uh, Dwayne Me Too is one of those people. Dwayne just, you know, he believed, he believed in from day one and just he helped drive that bus. And, um, you know, that's where we're at today. And I think, yeah, a lot of it has to do with building the team that you can trust. It sounds like you might, you had a few of your own issues trying to open the door of the bus to start yeah, with. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, my own personal issues of just being able to trust people. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. F- fully understand. Measuring success. Now, the easy answer for this, and I won't let you get away with this one, is to say you've hit your KPI, you've delivered on something, and you walk away, and that's your measure of success. There has to be more to it. So I'll put it to you as a parent, as a leader, what to you is a measure of success for a leader? I'm going to say it in such a way I know a lot of people will understand. Leave your bottoms at the door. <laughs> so what that means is leave your bottom line at the door. When you're first starting to build a relationship with somebody, you know, don't go into it thinking about how much you're going to clean from them. Go into it with the sole purpose of building a solid relationship with people and not with what your ROI or return on investment is going to look like, but your return on customer value. Because those customers coming back to you are going to be what makes you successful at the end of the day. So it's not going to be your KPIs, your key performance indicators. It's going to be those customers that are going to keep advocating for you, your product, and give you that free word of mouth marketing. That response is not inconsistent with what most people will, will talk about. I mean, you can't get away from delivering on the your bottom line stuff because you've got to make a dollar. But you're, mm-hmm. what you're talking about is customer loyalty, business to business loyalty, relationship networks. Being successful in that is not easy to capture in a KPI other than to say, if your business is growing and booming, you must have had some mix of those things in the right proportion that are that are pushing the business forward rather than stagnating, I, I would suggest. Daniel, leader capability. So I won't try and guess what you think the the critical ones are, but you You've been around. You've been around the block. You understand what the world of work is. What, in your mind, are the critical leader capabilities people should be thinking about? Definitely, first and foremost, is being able to navigate your team. And I'm going back to saying, listening with more than your ears. There's so many different dynamics that you have on a team, and so many different personalities. And getting to know those personalities, obviously a leader needs to bring some type of skill set to the table to be able to lead, but they also need to have the, that human factor to be able to, and that empathy to be able to engage with their team. And I'm going back to Randy Wilson, and it's just an incredible uh, force in my life. And he just, he had this way of just being able to navigate not only at the sea level, but with management and always going to bat for you but i at you know people that he was managing as well and he just took the time to listen to people and and navigate he was able to navigate the team navigate the different personalities and know to know when to lean on his team when he needed the solid answers. He obviously, he hired for people. And this is another one. Hire people that know more than you. Have that trust to hire those type of people that you can lean on. Because if you just want to be a manager and you want to take all the credit, 
that's not gonna that's not gonna do anything to you. You're gonna build a team and then you're gonna lose a team. Uh, but being able to build a team that's smarter than you, that has more of the answers, that help you drive profit for the business, that to me is a, a really successful leader. I'm not surprised with that response, given what you said at the start of the podcast. And and definitely trust is one that I think you've thrown in there too, that you, you have to look for, well, I think it's a combined thing. You look for skill sets that are better or different to yours that the business needs. And then you have to place a degree of trust and, and talking to other entrepreneurs here in Australia and the US that at some point when you want to transition out and follow some other pathway, given that you have an entrepreneurial bent, that staying connected to the previous business you've built and cutting that umbilical cord can be very difficult because of the time and effort and the, I think, and no one's ever said this to me, but I think I've got this right, that there's a lot of you in the business you've built and letting go can be difficult because a part of you is in the business. Now that I mean that in a metaphorical sense, but I think entrepreneurs have that as much as they've got their creativity and flair. I think they've got that hang up that once they've built the business, it's, it's your, it's your baby. It's your, it's part of your family. Family and, and letting go and letting somebody else maybe manage and make those day-to-day decisions can be difficult. Is that a fair call? Well, that, that exit plan is really critical, you know, as a, as a key component to building that business is where, what is your goal? What is your end goal? Is it to keep building the business when the day is done? <laughs> what, what's your exit sun? strategy, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where you're going, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my exit strategy is to retire someday and and let somebody else take on the reins, which is one of the reasons why I didn't take on the CEO role. So that was my exit strategy. I put somebody that knew more than I did about the blockchain and being able to navigate that leadership role more so than myself, which my navigation as a leader is really family focused. And being a CEO, I couldn't see myself being able to to be able to navigate both. I would have to give up one or the other, at least in my eyes. And I didn't want to have to do that. So my exit strategy is really, you know, lean on on somebody else that would be able to help me figure that out. Yeah, I guess you telegraphed that in um in your LinkedIn profile when you said you were a founder and CTO and a lot of times I think people are happy to put up founder and CEO and managing director and yep. almost stamping that I'm the boss here. And you really don't need to do that. To, to hey, get... at the end of the day, mama's the boss, period. <laughs> my wife, <laughs> Tina, is the boss. Fair enough. And then my, my youngest one is baby boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so, so how old is your eldest child? 21 and the youngest five that's, uh, that's so, a big that's a big spread there mate that's uh, a lot of um hey they keep they keep me young <laughs> they keep me young that's for yeah sure. okay I'm, I'm, I'm 52 man i'm 52 and they keep me running around and and they keep me in shape you know exercising yeah oh, good probably be sitting here <laughs> good to hear right they're good the, leaders let, let me ask you this and this this is around the uh nature versus nurture argument when it comes to leaders or, or you could Push this out to entrepreneurs if you like. Are they born or made? You know, there's a certain amount of failure that you have to go through in life. My take on that is that they are made because even those that are born still have to go through those failures to be able to learn. And without those failures, how are we going to know? You know, I'm going to go back to saying chaos breeds success. So if we didn't have chaos in our life at some point in our life, then how would we know to be able to improve on that process where what we just came from? 
maybe some leaders have the the ability to lead, but they still have to to learn at some point to be able to uh, you know have those to, uh, corrective acting uh, corrective action skills. Those aren't just you know, out of the gate born, you have to be able to learn what even in today, I mean, technology changes, and there's always human error there. So you have to be able to, to pick that ball up and learn from your fa- failure. So I'm going to be leaning hard towards the learned side of it. That, that's a very software developer answer. I would have been, I would have expected uh, there's a process there and, and you got to go through and it's probably, I think Daniel, this one of all the podcasts I've done, this one is probably the best explanation for the argument for they're, they're made, they're not born is that thing about how do you know what failure looks like if you haven't experienced it, even if you are intuitively have all the right uh, elements that to make you a fantastic leader that you've got to dip your toe in that leadership space. And, and um, I don't think yet I've met anyone on this podcast that said they've had a hassle-free, mistake-free career and definitely not, yeah. definitely the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to, whether they're Aussies or, or from, from your part of the world, from, from America or from anywhere have said you learn through your failures and you have to accept failure as part of the process and you'll only get better as time goes along and one off off the record and i won't uh name him or her but uh, he or she said to me uh you got to have those f-ups along the way and have a few things burnt in your background before you can really learn what it is to be in that world of work and um i can agree with that to a certain point i think there's some that maybe through luck or other things have less of those experiences before they become successful but i think i think it depends on the sector you're in. So one one thing I found of interest amongst those entrepreneurial people, and and you'd be definitely in that list, is the social entrepreneurs versus the um, more uh, generic entrepreneurs that are there from a business perspective, not a social um, trying to create some social change through their entrepreneurialism. And I think the two there's some there's some quite stark differences, but I think the same fundamentally how you have to take a risk. To, to do something different in the environment. Um, so for example, the entrepreneur that wants to set up an ongoing, let's say software business, and I'm not using you as an example, but it's the, the only thing sure. that comes to mind that you've got to take some risks and you've got to build that business. And it's the it's that profitability and longevity thing that will be driving you as well as innovation and some other things. Whereas the social entrepreneur is about how can I fix a problem from a societal perspective and their drivers are a little different, but they're still driven by uh, what, what, what's probably the, the nicest term here, a gap in the market or a gap in the system that needs to be addressed. Does that ring true for you? Well, for me, I would be looking to find somebody that would help me answer that question. Right. Okay. <laughs> as, a, yep. As, yep. A, as an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, I would be like, okay, I'm outside of my comfort zone. I need to find somebody that's going to be able to help me fill that gap, quote unquote. Yeah. Look, Daniel, um, last question. And I was really pressed by your profile on LinkedIn and a lot of people were not write that kind of profile on LinkedIn. So what, what was your basis for writing it the way that you did? So for those of that haven't looked at my profile, I, I've uh, self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed myself the five second guy because people write me messages to connect with me. And I, I have dyslexia. And I mean, it's crazy when, I mean, when one, my friend sent me a script of a movie 
you know, it says, all right, you mother effers, this is a stick up. In my brain, I read it as, all right, you mother stickers, this is an F up, you know, and that's, I can't, you know, when it, when I see something that's, you know, a paragraph, two paragraphs, three paragraphs long, I'm like, okay, I'm done. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I want to be able to get my point across in five seconds because that's the five seconds that all, that's usually all I can handle with my brain. And so with my profile about me in five seconds, so I let people know it's going to take them five seconds to read it. I was a, a, a survivor of, of severe abuse in foster care. I've had a great development, software development and graphic design career. And now I'm a, a dad, a award-winning dad of six adopted special needs children. So in a nutshell, in five seconds, they've learned everything about my personal life growing up, my career, you know, just enough to get them interested that I'm in software development and I can do some graphic design. And from a social perspective, right there, you know, I have to, we have special needs children and that requires a whole different level of parenting and different skills than, uh, you know, just your normal parenting. And it's not just the skills. I mean, we've lost, you know, friends over, you know, becoming foster parents and adoptive parents. So I think that gives a really neat story of my life in five seconds. I know I probably just took like five minutes explaining it. For those listening, I've been speaking to Daniel Hall. Daniel, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Eric. And, uh, you know, thank everybody for taking time out of their lives to to make it about me and, and make it about your podcast. Really appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. I'll catch you all on the next podcast.